one more study in the Word before we begin a new series. And so I want you to look over uh, to the Old Testament, to the book of Joshua. In our practice of studying the Word, which hopefully has been helpful to you, um, we've been borrowing from this old questioning method called the Swedish method, which is primarily three questions. What do you see? Uh, what's a question to ask? And what is something to do? Um, if, you just, if you would just take those questions and work with them this week, uh, it'll, it'll force you to think through the Bible. Uh, it'll be like a school teacher standing over you, making sure you're getting the work done, uh, rather than just reading something and having a mind that's loosely attached to what's going on. We practiced in the Psalms, um, which is always a good place for you to be reading. Even if you're reading elsewhere, uh, just keep reading those Psalms. Uh, we went to the New Testament last week in a familiar text in Ephesians 4. Saw some very familiar verses. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But saw them kind of squeezed into the context there of contentment and being satisfied with what the Lord gives. This week I want us to go to the Old Testament. Sometimes reading in the Old Testament stories or narratives, it's a little harder to, you know, think through theological concepts. You really have to work at seeing how God is at work here, what promises he's making, what he's doing. And sometimes you have to see it in the illustration. For example, we're looking in the book of Joshua, so it's this Old Testament people of God. So we learn something there about what God does, but then we also have to be thinking, but this is the illustration of the New Testament people of God. Um, so yes, they were, God set his love on them. They were chosen. He was leading them out of bondage to a promised land with a future inheritance. But all of that language fits for us now after Calvary in what Christ has done. And so reading Old Testament presents some challenges because we think there in that story, in that time, and then we also have to think that this Old Testament is preparing us for the fuller story to come. Uh, so I wanted us to practice once in the Old Testament and then we'll, we'll study in some other directions next week. So Joshua chapter 1. Uh, if you remember... Uh, Moses has led the people out of Egypt. They've wandered in the wilderness. Uh, they came to Kadesh Barnea, which is basically the opposite side of what we think of as Israel, the other side of the Jordan River. So they're on the east side, looking into the promised land. They sent spies into the land. Those spies came back, 10 of them with a bad report. We can never do this. There's giants in the land two of them with a good report. We can do this. God said it's ours. Let's take it. But the people are moved by the 10 spies and they decide not to go into the promised land, to not trust God. And he punishes them by saying the whole generation's going to die in the wilderness. So for 38 and a half more years, they wander in the wilderness and 40 years goes by and that generation that had been the adults in Egypt and came out of bondage they, they all die and are buried in the, in the sands of the desert. And now they come again to basically the same area, the east side of the Jordan. They're ready to cross over. 
And the whole book of Deuteronomy is Moses recounting everything that has happened, all the law that God gave, the experiences they had, and he's urging them now to obedience to this plan of God to take them into the promised land. But as you see in verse 1, Moses dies up on the mountain and Joshua takes over. So that's the story we're stepping into. And again, I'll give you uh, two minutes to read this account of God's exhortation to Joshua and a little bit from the people as well. And then uh, we'll begin our discussion together, which you well know means you have to be ready to to add something. And so whether it's with a pencil uh, in hand or an eye for marking something in the text in your mind, uh, be ready with something you see, something to ask, uh, something to do. Uh, I've noticed in the last couple of times we've done this, we've been a little weak on, okay, what, what do I do because of this text? Uh, having heard it and studied it, what would the doing look like? So maybe have an eye out for that. We'll see if we can come up with some things that might even help us through this coming week. So let's take uh, two, two minutes, read through Joshua chapter 1, and then we'll, we'll talk some. All right, pencils down, as the teacher used to tell us in class. If you're homeschooled and never had a teacher say that to you, you missed out on the, oh, I had one more thing to write down. Uh, all right, Joshua chapter 1. Uh, let's, let's think our way through this and see how we can glean from the text. What do, you, what do you see there? Who wants to start us off? And speak up the, with the fans blowing for our cool air and regulate the humidity. It would be hard for folks to hear you. Daniel? So I have two, actually. The first is um, Joshua was a, a mentee of Moses. He was chosen by Moses. He's been living and abiding with Moses this whole time. He's been right in Moses. So there's this, there's this idea of passing along that you have to somebody else. You might not have a lot, but you have something that somebody could get from you, and usually you can't people that you get from in the So let's hit that one first. We see this transition from Moses to Joshua. There was this mentoring relationship. This isn't the first time Joshua's mentioned. He's mentioned just a couple of other times. You could think back to Exodus 17, when when Moses has his arms up in the air for victory and they're down. Uh, That's when they're being defeated by the Amalekites. So they prop his arms up with uh, Aaron and someone else. Um, and Joshua is the one fighting the battle down there. He sends Joshua to, to actually fight. Uh, two other references, maybe, and each time it's Joshua in this position, as it says here, as the servant to Moses. So it's interesting the text begins with after the death of Moses, and then the first real action we have is arise, go over this Jordan. After the death of Moses... That generation's dead and gone, but here's the next generation carrying on. So something had been passed there. There's that generational impact and the reality that our lives are short. We, a lot of us are closer to death than we are to birth. So it's just the, the reality of our days are numbered and we're to use them wisely. Um, all that flows out of just thinking of Moses dying and yet the work, the 
that God has is going on. And so we had best be investing in the next generation. Uh, it's not just a program of mentoring somebody. It's, it's the reality of this is how it works. And again, if you're reading the Psalms often, you're going to hear that theme uh, oft repeated. All right. What else? You had something else, Daniel. Yeah, the second thing I would say is um, the phrase, uh, strong and courageous, is repeated over and over and over again in this passage. And it's in conjunction with uh, a promise of God on obedience. So God is promising them something. They just need to be obedient to that. And that provides almost this, it's almost like it works in concert. I have a feeling like being strong and courageous outside of obedience and the promise of God would be Right, so there's a lot there. The oft-repeated instruction to be strong and of a good courage. So we'll kind of let that sit and we can build on that. And Daniel has linked that to promises made. So courage rooted in something. There, there's, there's a reason why this theme emerges of be strong and of a good courage. Especially if you're a person who tends to not be very bold and courageous, suddenly there's nowhere to turn. You're not off the hook because that's not your personality because strength and courage in this text are not rooted in your personality or your gifting even, but rather in the promise of God, which we need to find yet. So if you haven't seen that, be looking for what were those promises? What are they talking about? All right. So a couple of big ideas there, and they'll probably come out some more as we talk this through. Uh, Zachary, do you have something you saw or asked? Yeah, man, I got to see a lot of things. Um, I'll just uh, spawn off here. Verse 8, pretty plain and simple. It says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do accordingly, according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then thou shalt have good success right there this is the only thing that matters <laughs> you know like um, as much as unfortunately getting caught up in the daily jumbo of life uh, people lose true focus and or don't got the rides on the prize that's pretty strong right there good let's build on that or something else Roy I think that verse exactly just read is one of the first things that I memorized and I memorize it so often that it's one of those that I don't think even Alzheimer's can take away from me um, but I, this is the first time that it really struck me because I memorized it from the Bible, having the whole Bible in my lap. But when it was spoken, it was talking about four, maybe five, possibly six books. 
and that's what they were supposed to benefit from. Yes, we can apply it to the whole scriptures, but that's not the original audience's understanding of it. Sure. Yeah, it was the instruction they had up to that point, obviously, right? What does that, what does that help us? Or, or maybe just let's expand. What would it look like for us to be obedient to not letting the book of the law depart out of your mouth? It's a well-known verse, but what, what do we do with it? What might that look like? Uh, I mean, if you're going to have obedience, how, what are you going to have obedience to, and how are you going to know the promises that God has given you? And when you get those points where you don't know what you, what's going to come, without having, call it, biblical literacy, and reversing with that in your own knowledge, I don't know how to face what you come across in the world today. Um, there's such a departure in the world without grounding yourself in the Bible, you, you fall into the traps all over the place, even small little cities. Certainly. Uh, Caitlin, what else were you going to add? Just along those same lines, if you're not putting it in, uh, intentionally memorizing, soaking yourself in it, it can't come back out. Um, and just, uh, you can't be careful to do what it says if you aren't having it firmly in there. I mean, it's not going to come up in problems and um, areas of crossroads that you come across. If you don't have the word there to guide you, then you will walk the shape of wrong path in the path of the flesh. Okay. Um, I, I'm ashamed to admit this. Maybe other people are here too. Don't let this depart out of your mouth. I've always thought of that as we're not supposed to talk about it. I think what it's really saying is don't stop talking about it. Let it always be around. And I miss that. Yeah, don't let there be this void, like that it wasn't there. Um, so, so we've talked about a lot of the, the, the filling up. Let, let the word dwell in you richly, Paul would say to Colossae. Um, but, but I might argue that could fall a little bit more under the meditation so how do we check the box of like knowing the law was in my mouth? To me, this seems like almost an Old Testament reference to Romans 12, 22. About being that, that living sacrifice, not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To have the, the book of the law in your mouth, to speak it, to dwell upon it, to meditate on it day and night, that's how it just seemed like it was, to me, it kind of tied the two together. Yeah, that's, uh, so if you were following the icons on the paper, you know, somewhere to look, like where do I see these ideas? And it's Romans 12 would be interesting. You have clearly the meditation. You have clearly the doing. And if we were looking for, like, what about that word emphasis, we could probably argue that if he's, Paul is making his case, beseeching you, urging you, exhorting you by the mercies of God, that somehow you're looking back to see what God has done, uh, as they would be doing here. Um, still trying to get to, like, 
if somebody asked you, like, what, what does that mean? The book of the law doesn't depart out of your mouth. Like, what do I have to say? Like, what's the script? Like, how do I know if I'm keeping this commandment? I think we're looking at an outflow of excitement of love. And it's not a, it is a duty, but you're never going to fulfill a duty. Love has got to be the fuel. You talk about what you're passionate about. You talk about what you love. So the concern isn't, I haven't checked the box. The concern is, it's not my mouth. I don't love Jesus anything like I should. No, I agree. Um, so let me come back to like, like, give me the actual, what would this sound like? What words would, might you say? In what context? So I'm afraid, like, we, we've known this verse forever, and yet come Tuesday, is there any part of Tuesday where it might sound like this verse? Yeah, Caleb? Hebrews 3 talks about um, exhorting one another every day, as long as it's held today, and it comes right on the heels of reference back to the Old Testament, and kind of a securing your faith by exhorting each other. Um, but much of the law, all throughout the penitent, there is this emphasis from the Lord, because I'm the one who brought you out of the of Egypt, because I've done this for you, therefore, um, you are to behave in this way. And so in some ways, as the people of God, then our job is to continually exhort each other with the words of the book of the law, person with each other, what has God done for us, and speaking to each other of that, and there's a consequence of that, what are we therefore to do? And so I think maybe part of the not letting part of the mouth is just a constant rehearsing of God's words toward us, and therefore our words to him. Yeah, somehow, like, we actually have to say something about what God has said or done, or who he is. Um, the actual stories there that prove God's faithfulness. We remind somebody when they're like, they might just be complaining about how everything's gone wrong this week. And, and, and you know, we, we understand that. We're, we don't think they're miserable wretches. But daily, we're to exhort them towards a, a settled faith. Remember what God has said. Remember what God has promised. I mean, this week, you might be able to point someone to Joshua chapter 1 and say, you know what? Man, that sounds hard, but God said strength and courage are rooted in his promise. So just remember what he said he's doing for you and through you. So, like, there's actually words you have to speak to be able to say, it's true of my life that the book of the law has not departed out of my mouth. Uh, You might exhort your children. You might not think of it as exhortation. You might call it parenting. But the fact of the matter is you're admonishing them. You're putting into their head Ephesians 6 says, truth about God. Um, You know, sometimes Sunday school with all of its Bible stories kind of can get knocked as like, oh, you're just telling all these stories. But fact of the matter is, all those stories are telling the big story. They're pointing to who God is. And so it's good for your kids to read those stories and see Daniel in the lion's den. And I know Daniel's not the greatest hero of the story, but he's certainly worth looking at. That's why it's there for us. Uh, so what do we see in the lives of these saints in the past? And how did they exercise faith in God? And how did that faith carry them through? So the, all this stuff uh, needs to be coming out of our mouths. Uh, 
whatever you read this week and you see something and it might just be the steadfast love of God and you're just trying to wrap your mind around that. Speak it. <laughs> Tell somebody. I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what it means in the scripture that his love is so steadfast, it never fails. You don't even have to have a good explanation. Just tell them what you're seeing there. It, it's, it's keeping the word flowing. All right, uh, Paul? Yeah, I mean, I'm reiterating a lot of what others have said, but just looking at it where it says this book of the law refers to well, what is this? So if you rewind, it's according to all the law that Moses, my servant, has commanded you. Um, so that, that is what's not to depart for one. That that brought to mind just Deuteronomy 6 5, and just that we're supposed to be talking about it in the way as we come and go, that it should be ever present in our on our lips. And I was just thinking, <laughs> as a funny kind of image that popped in my brain, I was thinking of Fiddler on the Roof, and I thought of, uh, what's his name? Tevia? Rep Tevia? I can't remember. Anyway, the main character, and how he has all these like maxims that he says, you know, has not, you know, the Bible said, or the. the the good book or the law of the prophets. And he just has all these maxims that are nowhere found in scripture. Um, and it's constantly like, no, 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 that's not it. And I'm just thinking about how, on the flip side of that <coughs> illustration, uh, how many times I've encountered someone who will give maybe just some sort of broad, pseudo-biblical advice in a moment versus someone who says, essentially, hasn't God's word said this? And it just applied it to that moment of even paraphrasing, but just this is what God's word has said. And like you can be confident because that's what God's word says. And the massive difference between this sort of pseudo principle versus God's word actually departing my mouth from someone's <laughs> mouth and being that sort of encouragement and firm foundation. Um, yeah, anyway, it's, yeah. they're observations more than just, ah, uh, here's the answer. But. No, there's a good warning there, you know. Um, sometimes we are speaking things that are true and maybe even helpful, but we don't, we don't explore the depths of the helpfulness because we didn't anchor it specifically to the word. Um, so don't be afraid to ask a question of somebody when they're talking, and maybe it's being helpful to you, and you'd say, like, so where, where would I attach that to what God has said? Like, or what Bible words would I use for that, what you're saying? Because it sounds right, but I, I, I want to find it in, it in its core, in its essence. Um, so keep thinking on that. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Um, and even this week, you know, incorporating language that's more intentional. I, I would venture to say um, that for many Christians, it would feel awkward to, to speak in, in language of the Bible. Um, and I'm not saying like Elizabethan language of the Bible, but, but to even just say, well, you know, I was just reading today and God has said this. I, I think we feel like that's out of our reach or something when actually that, that's the greatest counseling we can give. And so... Um, maybe this will give you great confidence that you don't have to be a Bible answer man. Um, you, you just have to read your Bible. You, you just have to be a parrot. You, you, you just say what God has said or ask a question to someone about, hey, wh where has God said something like that? 
and, and, and you become like an, an anchor for conversations that are trying to get to spiritual truth. Uh, so take heart. Um, let the word dwell in you richly, and it, it'll, it'll spill out and be helpful to others. All right, kind of open it back up, not even on that topic now. What else do we want to look at in the text here? Uh, Jill, and then Paul. Um, in the second half of the chapter, twice he uh, references the word rest. Verse 13, the Lord is providing a place of rest, and then in verse 15, the Lord gives rest to your brothers and gifts to you. So a repeated word is always a good clue, and one like rest should get your attention. Uh, We mentioned this before in the Psalms, that one Psalm, I think it was 65, there was the word full and satisfied. Uh, Those are significant words, that rest goes right there with it, Um, because if you don't believe me, just wait till tomorrow at about, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning. You'll probably already be clamoring for a little bit of peace and rest. Um, so those words generally we can relate to quite readily. And now in our text, when we read Joshua uh, hearing this language, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. That was what he was remembering Moses had said to him, um, that, that's loaded. Um, because in our minds, in the story, remember we're reading Old Testament, we think, oh, that's really good news for people that have just wandered in a wilderness for 40 years. They're finally going to get to the destination. They're finally going to rest, to settle in and to have peace and the prosperity, that full-orbed kind of meaning of shalom, uh, peace, everything's healthy and kind of settled and strong. And yet, thinking now with our New Testament mind, we think, wait a minute, that that language, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest, is far more than just real estate in the Middle East with wells they didn't dig and vineyards they didn't plant and houses they didn't build and cities they didn't build. That's great. They're going to have their land and their rest. But that promise has much greater fulfillment to come in the New Testament. Let me just even flip over. Because this very very language of rest, Hebrews chapter 4. Let me just point it out to you. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another rest to come. But the fact of the matter is, when they entered the promised land and settled into those places and enjoyed rest, it was a relative rest. Uh, It was a rest that only even finds any meaning in the fullness of what rest would be. And that's another rest to come. Joshua didn't fulfill 
God's entire promise of rest. They had their land, and God says as much. Everything I've promised you, I've given to you. It's just that that promise carried so much more for all who would be the people of God. And that rest is found when we cease from our striving to be good enough, our striving to keep the law, and we rest in Christ and his work. Uh, so that, that theme of rest is significant. It meant something big to that people that heard it, but it, it, it still means something big for all who will cease from their striving and working and will recognize that Christ's work is enough. So Hebrews is, is often helpful in that theme of promise, of land, inheritance, rest, all those themes. All right, what else, uh, Paul, you had? Yeah, it's right in line with Jill's note about rest and whatnot, so I won't belabor it, but um, just looking at this and then looking forward and then also reading back with types and antitypes, even just looking at verse 2, the idea of crossing Jordan and the promise that awaits on the other side. Um, and then in verse 5, you can see that there's a very similar echo there of the Great Commission and the promise to never leave you nor forsake you, but even a better promise of the Great Commission there, that it's not as, as I was with Moses, it's a just straight up, I will be with you uh, to the coming, to the end of the age. Uh, but just really this idea that even as we're seeing kind of the fulfillment of a promise in a physical sense, to some degree, that there's still a much greater promise to be fulfilled, one that's the actual longing of the heart that goes into commission and goes into uh, a coming kingdom and a better fulfillment that we're, that we're still waiting for. Yeah, good. Good. What else? David, then in the back. Um, yeah, so I was, I was looking at uh, the three exhortations in the first half to be strong and courageous. Um, the first one, the reason for being strong and courageous is like Daniel mentioned, God has promised something. So you can be strong and courageous because God has promised. The second one um, is to be strong and courageous to observe to do the law, essentially. Like God has given his word, has given this law, you can be strong and courageous in carrying that out. There's nothing to fear in doing what God has commanded and then the third one is to be strongly courageous because God is with you wherever you go. And so all three of these are anchored in God himself. You are strong and courageous because he has promised. You are strong and courageous because of the word he's given, the law, what you're supposed to do. And then you're strong and courageous because God is there with you. And if, if you are living in a, a state where you don't, recognize God's promises, you don't dwell in this word and abide by what he says, and you don't know that God is with you wherever you go, the opposite of being strong and courageous is being weak and fearful. And that is what life can be like if you do not know God himself uh, and apply that to your life. Right. Yeah, God has not designed us to live a timid you know, bashful Christian life. So all this in Joshua 1, you hear it in Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Again, that sounds like vague, like how do I be strong in his might? And yet here in Joshua 1, we're seeing something. 
Be strong and have a good courage. Why? Because of what God has promised, who he is. So Ephesians 6 isn't mystical and weird. It's the same truth. Where does this strength come from that we're supposed to demonstrate? Um, someone? Yeah, Don. Verse 6, that just seems like a foreshadowing of Christ. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to yeah, I was, if no one hit verse 6, I was going to ask you to give me a key word in verse 6. Um, and there's obviously strong, courageous. There's probably something towards the end there too. Um, I swore, so promise. But that cause word, that, that's, a, that's a big word. And if you had been reading your Bible, you would have just read it a couple of times in Deuteronomy. Moses saying, giving us that same language of Joshua causing this people, to get there, to make it. Um, so when we sing the simple song, at, you know, away in a manger, and the, the original text is there that this baby that comes will fit us for heaven to live with him there. It, he's, he's Joshua. Joshua means God is our salvation. He saves. This is what he does. And so to think of Joshua causing this millions of people crowd to finally make it to the promised land. He's like the one that lit a fire under them, this catalyst. That's a, it's a big word, cause them. Then, again, we start thinking New Testament and think, what does this mean for God's people to be basically shepherded and herded into the kingdom? Um, someone's going to come and be that kind of rescuer, that kind of cause, someone able to accomplish uh, and it, it, again, it just opens up, you know, a meditation now on who Christ is. And, yet, and then you'll see this cause language, this, this shepherding, this rounding up. You'll see this language in the prophets and you'll hear Jesus use it. We realize, oh yeah, I've seen this picture before. I've seen this illustration of somebody making sure these people are going to get there. And so take heart this week. As you stumble down the path, somebody is going to make sure you get there. Uh, and that's good news. Tucked away in kind of a forgotten text of the Old Testament. All right, what else, Dave? Yeah, so just going into the other two a little bit deeper with the be strong and courageous. You know, verse 7, it talks about being careful to obey, which, of course, you know, indicates vigilance. But you have to ask, why do you have to be careful? Like, there's going to be temptations, there's going to be uh, things that will pull you away. And so, you know, that be careful is, is pretty, uh, pretty important. And then at verse 9, it says, do not be dismayed or frightened. So, you, you, again, you got to ask yourself, what, what would Joshua be frightened about? That God's trying to, you know, encourage him. You know, and, and you know, he's there and leading it whole entire nation in the face. That's pretty intimidating, right? He's got enemies that he knows he's going to have to face. He knows there's going to be a whole bunch of trials. And so, you know, just going into those next words, I think that helps Yeah, helps us figure out. And, and when you take all three of the three of those, he's strong and courageous. It sort of covers all of life uh, and, and why we need to be strong and courageous. Uh, you know, when you combine them all together, you sort of say, yeah, God's covered all the bases. Right. right. Make sure that Joshua doesn't 
doesn't have any gaps left there that you might wonder about. Yeah, so don't miss the connections. Be strong enough, good courage, or very courageous in verse 7. Immediately followed up by do not turn to the right or the left. So don't go the wrong direction. And then the next one, be strong enough, a good courage, because sometimes we're tempted not to go any direction, to just kind of huddle up and not do anything, but we need the same strength and courage. And actually, there's one more in the very end of the text, the last words, only be strong and courageous, but it's the people now speaking to Joshua, and it's in the context of those who won't obey. They're telling Joshua, listen, you're going you're gonna to face some of the people, even among us, who don't want to do this. They don't want to obey what God has to say. And in the face of that rebellion, only be strong and of a good courage. Uh, and maybe that one rings true more and more with us in our culture when we see rebellion against what is good and right, and we need to hear, be strong and of a good courage for the rebels' sake. Uh, let them see which is the right way to go. It's kind of like in the Hebrews 11, it says, Noah built an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world. Just by being strong and of a good courage and doing what God told him to do, he condemned the world. He showed them, you can do right. Um, And he kind of put the stake in the ground and said, here's what God has said and here's what I'm doing. Uh, And that condemned everyone else uh, by this act of faith in God. Um, so those, those be strong and of good courage phrases. Four times in 18 verses, you kind of get the theme. You don't have to be a great Bible expositor to know, what is this text talking about? Uh, we see it, and now it's just exploring, why does that command come? And we're kind of back to where we started with Daniel's reminder. Uh, it's because of these promises of God. And so if you start going through and listing them, you see God saying, I'm giving you the land in verse 2. I have given it, verse 3. I promised, verse 3. I'll be with you, verse 5. I'll not forsake you. I swore to their fathers all these promises of God. Can we trust him? If so, then step out in faith and courage. You might not feel very strong or courageous, but I don't know that I really care how you feel as long as you're obedient. Uh, Be strong and have a good courage because God is behind this. And as Paul said, takes us to that New Testament commission, takes us to our study of Acts, being witnesses. Well, I'm not a bold, outspoken person. That's beside the point. The point is, what has God said? Who is he? What has he done? What has he commissioned you for? All right, what else? A few more things. Daniel? Um, I think something to look at, maybe, would be how we define success. Good. Victory, I guess, because if you, if you take this, they've just wandered in the wilderness for three and a half years. Um, thousands, if not maybe millions of people have died off. Um, and, and here they are about to go over, and the next things that are going to happen are they're going to walk over on dry land again, almost like the bookends coming out of Egypt as they enter into the promised land, and also the fall of uh, Jericho, which doesn't really come by their mind, it comes by God. At the same time, you go forward to the New Testament and the, the victory of the Jews, where they were going to hang Jesus on the tree. They were going to, to despise him to the uttermost. And that was God's plan. And that was victory. It, it seemed like defeat. It should have been defeat for anybody else, but 
really with victory. So I think in the same sense, speaking up might seem like defeat because it looks in the world's eyes as something different. But um, I think we need a redefinition of what victory and success looks like. Yeah, there's a good study here on what, what is meant twice by that phrase, you will have good success. And then another time, make your way prosperous. Uh, clearly, it's tied to the book of the law and our obedience to it. Um, but obviously, the question is, is this like some kind of foundation for the guys on TV that are preaching what we call a health and wealth gospel? You know, send in your money and kind of keep listening to our program and God's going to bless you and you won't have sickness and, and you won't know poverty. And Is that what this is saying? Um, and it, and it's, it, there, there's several avenues. One of them is, remember the connection to the word and now your life, your way being prosperous and successful is tied to that word obedience. But the reality is this very story, as with many Old Testament stories, will illustrate prosperity and success in a very material way. Not that there wasn't a very real spiritual prosperity and success, but we all know how this story is, is even set up here, that God is promising them a physical land with all those wells, vineyards, fields, herds that they didn't pre prepare. They are going to reap a windfall of an inheritance of real stuff. But we have to remember that this Old Testament is an illustration of greater things to come. So while some of the good success and prosperity was physical stuff, it's still only an illustration of greater inheritance, greater prosperity, greater success, just as there's a greater Joshua causing a greater people to enjoy a greater blessing and promised land. So it's... It's tricky in some ways because there is material prosperity that comes to these very people when they enter the promised land. But in, but in the full wisdom of Scripture, we have to step back and say, is that really all God meant? Was some cows and an adobe wall of a house and a city to live in? Because really, that's not even that great when you, when you boil it all down. So don't be confused or don't deny there isn't material prosperity in this story of Joshua, but put it in its context. And remember, that was all temporary. That was all to help us understand this, this bigger promise of God, a greater prosperity that can never be taken away, that can never be lost. Um, so success, prosperity, it's there in the text. It unfolds in some ways materially, but even for this people, there is the great prosperity and success of I will be your God and you will be my people, those kinds of spiritual things. So it's not only physical. There is spiritual. Now step back and see the big picture. There is a much greater promise to come. Just as, just as heaven will have some kind of physicality to it for our resurrected bodies and a new heaven and new earth, that just won't really be the sum total of it, though. There is something much greater than that, than a physical place to be. Um, so wrestle with that. that, that that'll get thrown up once in a while when you see that language of success. Uh, what does God design in that? And we've studied that in our last series on what it means to change and to become like Christ.
All right, last ideas here. So do you have any, like, types of Right, it's, it's all those same pictures and types. So Abraham knew, even though he was sent out to this land, which he didn't even know where he was going, when he got there, well, even by the time he dies, he only owns the little patch of land that he bought for his wife's tomb, but it was the beginning of the fulfillment of a promise. I'll have a land for my descendants. But then the text goes on to tell us he was seeking a better land than even that. So when we see this prosperity and success, when we see David or Solomon in a big, expansive kingdom, that's not prosperity gospel. That, that's just a demonstration. That's just a, call it a down payment on understanding the vast riches of glory in Christ Jesus. Um, so don't be alarmed by prosperity gospel. It's not hard to find the reality of suffering in Scripture in either Old Testament saints or New Testament saints. Uh, so don't, don't latch on to that shiny, kind of polished presentation that God will bless you and you'll never have any hardships. Um, but when you come to these t- texts about prosperity and success, or you read the Psalms and, you know, overcoming all of my enemies, and understand what's going on in that life, and then how does this represent the big promises of God, that even through tribulation, we will enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because we have a shepherd that's going to cause us to get there. So a lot of big ideas. uh, And again, you might still have questions about that in the text, but that's okay. Something to ask. What does it mean to be prosperous and successful in this life? What does that mean? If you go there this week, you'll probably be led to Scripture to some pretty deep ideas that help you realize how I need to be spending my life because now I've, I've defined what it means to be prosperous and successful, and I'm going after that. That's, that's, that's a helpful place to go from this text. So, Lord, wherever you would take us in obedience to this, your word, uh, may we be encouraged by the, the truth that your word is living and powerful and it It'll, it'll cut even into our intentions and thoughts of our heart and it'll, it'll heal and it'll help and it'll illuminate the path that we walk even through the rest of today. Uh, may we be people who not only depend on your word but come to be able to say wholeheartedly that we love it. It is good for us. And so thank you for even showing us uh, your character and your son, Jesus, in this text. Uh, We're grateful for our hearts being encouraged down this path towards strength, uh, endurance, and courage. Uh, May that bear fruit in our lives even this week, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your help today in that study.